preceding program was pre-recorded. Hello, beautiful people. This is Nube Brown of Prison Focus Radio. Please join me every Thursday morning from 11 to noon and hear all things prison and prisoner-related issues from the voices of those living and having lived the experience of mass incarceration, also known as modern-day slavery, codified by the Slavery Exception Clause to the 13th Amendment. You will hear directly from our captive community members and their families and loved ones. And together, we will pave our way towards abolition. That's Thursdays at 11. Meet you there on Prison Focus Radio. KPOO San Francisco is a local, independent, and listener-supported radio station. You can send a tax-deductible donation addressed to KPOO, P.O. Box 156650, San Francisco, California, 94115. Thank you for your support. The following program was pre-recorded. Good morning, beautiful people. This is Nube here with you uh, from Prison Focus Radio here on KPOO San Francisco 89.5 and on the World Wide Web at www.kpoo.com. So I want to thank you for joining me this morning. And are you able to take a breath? There is a lot going on. So much so that it is very important that we are attending to our self-care as we are attending to the care of one another. We are in the fight for our humanity, people. And there are incredible changes taking place. This is a moment to seize in time for sure. Um, George Floyd's little daughter said, Daddy changed the world. And he did. And his death should not be in vain. I know that's a kind of a cliche statement at this time. But I do hope that you are still seizing this moment. This really is a movement that is happening and people are still getting out on the streets and we are and they are talking about that change this hope has moved into a an action an action of hope we are not just sitting here hoping that things are going to change people are active in so many ways this is an invitation to all of us to dig down deep and see where you and I and all of us can contribute to this change. What is that for you? And um, here at Prison Focus Radio, of course, we are keeping the voices alive of those that we don't normally hear. So I want to give a shout out to all of you behind the walls. We love you. We hear you. We care about you. And we are getting your voices out. I want to thank all of you for... um, telling us when you can about what is happening on the inside, Um, talking to your families. I want to give a shout out and send out some just serious, serious love and warm embrace to the family members and loved ones of uh, folks that are behind the walls. This is a very stressful time for all of us. We are all experiencing high anxiety and listen, Where we are right now, again, is not by mistake. And we have been suffering the 
trauma and the abuse of this system for centuries. So we also really need to consider our own mental and spiritual and health. So please take care of yourselves. Please take care of each other because ultimately this is, I feel like this is what this is about. This is some serious radical love in action. We are in the fight for our humanity. And these oppressors don't know anything about that. That is our language, people. All right, here we go. We're going to get started in the show. Welcome back, folks. Um, before I read this piece uh, by um, someone on the inside, who I'll introduce in just a minute, I just want people to remember and that we, this country is warehousing, traumatizing, and exploiting millions of humans of human beings behind the walls. People who who have potential, who, who love, who are loved, who are making incredible changes in their lives. This isn't to say everyone is, but we've been told that the people behind the walls are just criminals. And I'm here to tell you that they are not. These, again, are human beings. And there is so much talent and wisdom and intelligence back there that this community, our communities everywhere are being deprived of. Uh, youth are being deprived of. And they are just doing amazing things. In, there's so many that are doing amazing things inside. And I think a lot of what we are being, that they are being asked to do, excuse me, to improve themselves and take all these classes and, and enlighten themselves and dig deep to find out who they are. How many of us are actually doing that work? We really need to ask ourselves that. Um, so uh, the transformation that is required of these folks, these beautiful people inside, first of all, the system is not set up to do that. It is about punishing them. Um, and you, I, I know that you hear a lot about that here on California Prison, I'm on Prison Focus Radio. So um, we'll talk more about um, you know, ways to, to get more involved if you are um, interested in being a part of the prisoner human rights movement. Um, but I, I do want us to keep in mind, and for those of us that have been listening for a while, I, I hope you have the courage to um, really share with other people uh, this idea that, uh, again, the, the, these are human beings behind the walls, and we, uh, the, the way that this system has been doing this for centuries, basically keeping people unfree, as close to slavery as they possibly can, is, is traumatizing for all of us. Okay. So I want to get started. I'm going to read this piece. This comes out of issue number 60 from California Prison Focus. This is California Prison Focus's Prison Focus newspaper. Excuse me. Um, and I recommend that any of you get this newspaper if you have not subscribed to it. And you can do that by writing California Prison Focus 4408 Market Street Suite A, Oakland, California 9460. 
1-800-273-0808. Uh, family members of people on the inside, I recommend you get this newspaper. It is fabulous. Um, it gives you an idea of what is taking place inside, uh, behind the walls. Oftentimes it's very difficult for our loved ones to tell us what's going on because they don't want to stress us out. But it's a way that we can help advocate for the work that they are doing inside. Many of them are, um, as you know, I mean, many of you do know. And I, I, um, and for those of you, excuse me, and for those of you that are behind the walls um, and you don't, have subscription to this newspaper, please get it. Again, write to us at California Prison Focus, 4408 Market Street, Suite A, Oakland, California, 94608. And also write your letters so you can get them into the newspaper as well. Um, and if you are suffering the shoe, this is this newspaper will come to you complimentary for free. So, all right, I'm going to go ahead and read this piece it is called Coronavirus and Prisoner's Relationship with Death by Donald C-Note Hooker. As a political junkie, Friday's edition of the PBS NewsHour is always must-watch TV for me. On Friday, April 24th, 2020, reporter William Brangham was doing a human interest story on COVID-19. Somehow, he ran across a Facebook post from a New York City Mount Sinai ICU nurse K.P. Mendoza, the 24-year-old frontline coronavirus worker's Facebook post drew national attention. His post said something that struck a nerve with Brangham that resonated with me also. It is also the reason why I'm sharing my imprisoned thoughts on coronavirus. And imprisoned is spelled M-P-R-I-O-S-O-N-D and thoughts, T-H-O-T-Z very creative, on coronavirus. When I was in college, I used to tell myself I was too busy to call my parents. At best, I'd call them once a week, maybe once a month if I was in the midst of midterms or finals. They're immigrants from the Philippines who still work as nurses back home in Chicago. I even used to attribute my inability of connecting with them due to my hectic schedule and their unconventional shift times. But it's strange how anxiety claws at you. I read their stories in the medical histories over morning report. I see their faces in my dying patients, hear their children's distraught voices pleading for updates, praying for good news. Was it their voice I heard or was that mine over the phone? I wonder if my parents have finally figured out why I frantically call them almost every night now. I had the misfortune of learning of my mother's passing in 1998. While a prisoner at High Desert State Prison, the last time I had spoken to her was a telephone conversation. I had called her from the Los Angeles County Sheriff's Men's County Jail. I was especially housed in their CRIP module. My phone call was regarding an unexpected visit that didn't happen. This was a follow-up as to why. This was going to be her first visit. I was able to get through to her on the phone, and she did visit just like she said she would. She told me how she was waiting out there for hours upon hours, waiting for me to come out there until she got kicked out as visiting had closed. Her visiting experience didn't come as a great surprise. The sheriff played those types of games to visitors coming to visit Crips. After she told me that, then she told me, quote, as long as you're in jail, I can't do nothing for you, unquote. Just as soon as these words left her lips, I hung up the phone in her face. That was 1987 a whole decade. I had a few girlfriends who were very adamant near the point of breakup for me to call her and reconcile with her. I wouldn't. I recall a Bible story of Lazarus and the rich man. 
Both had died. One went home to the maker, the other to the baker. The rich man, who was suffering and in torment, begged of God to send Lazarus back to the living so that he could warn the rich man's family the perils of his path. Luke 16, 19-31. At the time of my mother's passing, our relationship status was estranged. No one knows or could feel my deep sense of regret. This is why Mendoza's college days reflection of regret at being too busy to make a phone call resonated with me. Ironically, I feel like my purpose on earth is to warn others not to repeat the mistakes I made. I am Lazarus, and we don't get opportunities to say I'm sorry or that I love you when our family without warning dies. My mission hasn't been easy. I get pushed back all the time. This world is full of bullheaded people and like my mother used to say, quote, a hard head makes a soft behind, unquote. It is so valuable that we take the time out to renew our, our family, sorry. It is so valuable that we take the time out to renew our family relationships. I am unfortunately confident that this novel coronavirus will kill over 100,000 Americans this year. And it has. This domestic plague in the space of one year, will have killed more Americans than all the American lives lost in international wars post-World War II in 1945. I just wanted to say, family is family. Please resolve yourself to accept that. Growing up in gang culture LA, all my homies were my homies. But if someone were to attack, someone I had despised from the gang, I had to help the homie. People think they don't need their family, but they do. Michelle Alexander, in her book, The New Jim Crow, Mass Incarceration in the Age of Color Blindness, was able to articulate the disaster incarceration has had on the black community and the black family in particular. Those of us who are incarcerated are like Jesus, who was hauled off to be crucified while the families we've left behind that are free are like his disciple John, who when questioned by authorities stated, quote, I never knew him. Unquote. With family being a primary source for compatible genetic material for life-saving procedures, is that the time you'd want to have that uncomfortable conversation when you need them to donate genetic material to save your life or the life of your child? I hope this prisoner's humble experience with death during this corona pandemic resonates with someone to forgive their loved one. C-Note has written for Prison Action News, California Prison Focus, Turning the Tide, and Our Voice. He's been written about in People, The Real Prison Art, Inside CDCR, and KCET Los Angeles's Departures. In 2017, Google search listed him as both America's and the world's most prolific prisoner artist. All right. If you would like to check out that article yourself or many more, then you can go to www.prisons.org and check out the Prison Focus newspaper issue 60 online there on the California Prison Focus website. All right. We are going to take a quick musical break and continue on with the show. Thank you for being here on Prison Focus Radio. Whoa. 
Yes, Mercy, Mercy by Marvin Gaye. That was a song request by one of our next guests coming up. All right, hello everyone. Thank you for being here. I have with me um, Robert Dixon. Um, some of you that have been listening to the radio show um, may have heard our conversation a couple of weeks ago. Um, Robert Dixon Jr. is a Bay Area native who grew up in Oakland as a troubled youth. He spent 36 years in prison and transformed his life. While there, he met Bob, a mentor, and he was released in July of 20, um, released July 22nd of 2019. So Robert, we welcome you home. Um, I'm assuming you're getting ready to celebrate your first year of freedom. Yes, thank you for having me again, Nube. And uh, this is the makes one year this month. Um, I'm grateful. It's been quite a journey since I've walked out of prison. Uh, Santa Rita 
the county jail on July 22nd, about 11 o'clock at night. So, yeah, thank you for having us again. Of course, of course. And we do also have with us Bob Stewart, um, and he is the best friend and mentor to you, Robert Dixon Jr. Um, Bob and his wife, Helen, have been visiting and supporting Robert for the last 25 years. Bob and Helen live in Discovery Bay. So I'm really um, grateful to have both of you here today. And um, I know that our listening audience is going to be excited about this conversation. So, Robert, we are going to go ahead and get um, started with you. Like I said, we have had some conversation before, and I know that um, Bob has come up quite a bit. So uh, why don't we tell the listeners, why don't we start off with why you felt like having this conversation um, together with Bob was important? I think a, a good way to describe why I think it's important that Bob and I have the opportunity to share with you and your audience uh, our experience together. Um, reminds me of Hurricane Carter, uh, Ruben, Hurricane Carter's story, where uh, while he was incarcerated, serving a life sentence, I believe in uh, New York somewhere, uh, back east, um, he met some people, uh, a young boy named Lazarus and some Canadians. Um, and they came into his life out of nowhere and, and least expected and became friends and, and played a big role in in his life and, and what he was going through while he was incarcerated uh, for reasons that, uh, you know, uh, was unjust. And uh, my relationship with Bob and his wife, Helen, uh, has been similar to that, you know. So it's a compelling story that I think can be inspirational as Ruben Hurricane Carter's story has been to many of, of uh, citizens in in the United States who is aware of his life story and his transformation and his prison uh, experience uh, that um, someone like Denzel Washington did such an eloquent job of depicting. So, yeah, we have a compelling story that we hope uh, would uh, shine some light on your audience and uh you know, give people a different perspective of what it's like to, you know, be incarcerated and people to meet and and lives be changed as a result of it. All right. Oh, that that's a, that's a beautiful setup. Well, Bob, did you want to add any, anything to that? Yes, uh, absolutely. So I have to say, as Robert uh, indicated earlier, it's been a been quite the journey. This has been a fabulous journey. And I must say, I don't regret a minute of it. Um, plus, uh, trials, tribulations, frustrations, uh, joy, it runs the gamut of uh, uh, every imaginable human emotion. So if I may, uh, Nuvia, let me start out. This, this really has sort of an improbable beginning. And it started out uh, at the end of 1993. My Helen and, Helen and I have been avid 49ers fans, season ticket holders for the last, you know, 30 some odd years. And uh, Helen was reading an article about a, a former 49er that was incarcerated at uh, Tracy Gould State Prison. And uh, it, had, it was kind of a sad story. Uh, he, he had few family and friends to visit him, and so my wife wrote him a letter and uh, introduced herself. And he said, yeah, come on down. I'll, I'll put you on the visiting list. So we went and visited uh, uh, Eason at, at Tracy uh, in November, December. Well, uh, I don't want to take up too much time, but shortly thereafter, he got transferred 
to uh, Vacaville Solano State Prison. And that's where he met uh, Robert. And they were both big guys, you know. So uh, so he's in uh, war former uh, number 80 for the 49ers. He he wore it actually before Jerry Rice. He was a big tight end, 6'5", or not 6'5", maybe 6'2", 6'3", 250 pounds. Very similar in stature and physique to uh, to Junie. And and at that that time, uh, the the Corrections Department, the California Department of Corrections, allowed uh, people to lift weights. They shortly thereafter stopped doing that, which I think was really silly. But, but in any event, they met and they were lifting weights. And and when we were visiting uh, uh, Robert uh, at Solano, he introduced us to, uh, to to Robert. And and so shortly thereafter, it, it's kind of a bad story, but uh, Robert can elaborate. I'm just a highly so they put uh, Robert into the hole. So we didn't get to see him or or visit with him until several weeks thereafter, and uh, and, and so it's, that's when the journey started. It was uh, February, March of 1994, and uh, I believe Robert had probably been incarcerated somewhere around 11 years prior to that. And uh, so we started the relationship, and we actually the, the relationship flourished, but it, it took it took a while to kind of take off. We, so we got to know his family very very well. We met uh, his dad, Robert. Senior and his mother Jeannie Dixon and his his uh, uh, sister uh, Jennifer and uh, we got to know them and we went you know did social outings went out to dinners and sort of got uh, you know uh, introduced to to uh, a different lifestyle and you know one that that we weren't uh, very familiar with because <laughs> we're we're uh, you know. We're a white family. Of course, the, the Dixon family is an African-American. So I have to say now, 25 years later, the Dixon-Stewart family is, is one in every sense of the word. And so maybe I don't want to uh, hog the time, so I'll just kind of uh, stop right there. I mean, there's lots of, we could we could spend hours talking about this new day, but I'll just kind of stop right there where, where the journey began and, and turn it back to you and, and Robert. Well, that is a, it is a wonderful uh, place to to begin because you did um, both of you have really talked about this um, the connection like through uh, through your humanity. So um, yeah, let let's start there. Let's start when that connection was actually able to take place. And I guess Robert, I wanted to ask you: Did you um, had you read the the life of uh, Reuben Hurricane Carter? You know, prior to meeting Bob, and did that have some bearing on what was unfolding before you? Uh, no, that's what's so interesting about uh, you know the 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 connection, okay. the similarities. Um, I met Bob long before uh, the Reuben Hurricane became a very uh, known story in, in our in our society and in our media. Um, and it was, um, you know, years later when I watched, actually watched the movie and was really moved by Denzel's performance, uh, depicting what Ruben had went through, um, as a troubled youth. So I, I was able to connect with, you know, his upbringing. He had been in trouble a lot as a kid and, you know, youth, youth defender programs and, uh, end up, you know, get, you know, being accused of a murder that he later was proven to had not committed and was sentenced, given a life sentence. So, uh, 
And as a result of that movie is when I learned about Lazarus, which Lazarus was a young boy, um, African-American boy living in New York, uh, under uh, probably uh, living below poverty level, pretty sure it was. And he was uh, enrolled in a program, and that program involved uh, volunteers that came, uh, there were interns that came as part of their, you know, their college programs would come in and they would spend time with inner, inner city youth. Um, and they took Lazarus to a bookstore one day, the, the, these three Canadians, uh, two men and one woman, and they were Caucasian uh, folks, um, and befriended Lazarus, uh, took him to a bookstore and there was a free, uh, you know, you could, there's a bin where all these books were in the bin and they told Lazarus, you can pick one, uh, you can have one for free, whichever one you pick. And he stuck his hand in that bin and the book that he pulled out was called uh, The Hurricane Carter Story. <laughs> and, and that book led him to wanting to meet Hurricane Carter, uh, wanting to go visit him and the Canadians helped facilitate that. Uh, and that led him to also seeing the injustice in his case and willing to do everything they could to fight for his freedom, which they were successfully able to do. And so, you know, after I watched the movie, I had a conversation with Bob later uh, on our many visits that we've had uh, talking about that. And he was like, yeah, you know what? It, we do share a similar uh, uh, story as it relates to how we got involved in meeting you and, and the things that he and his wife had have done uh, along with my parents to help me get my freedom because clearly we believe that uh, that the uh, sentence, that the amount of time that I was given did not match my involvement in the commitment offense and that I had spent more than enough time in prison for my involvement in, in the unfortunate tragedy that happened to Michael Tucker. So I kind of want to go back just a little bit and ask you, Bob, I know, so your, your wife, Helen, wrote, um, this letter. Now, first, what prompted her to do this? Was this a first time? Was it just that? Had had either of you ever, um, you know, participated in writing to um, a, a prisoner? Or, you know, how did that start? And then from there, can you talk about what, you know, what compelled you to um, pursue this relationship with Robert? Bob, you may have put yourself on mute. I'm sorry, I did. My dogs were barking. <laughs> <laughs> I got that. No, so we yeah, appreciate that. It happens often. Right, right, right. Okay. But no problem. Yeah, did so, you? Yeah, go ahead. So uh, this was the first time. Uh, you know, as I said, we were huge Warrior Niner fans, and you know, my wife is, uh, you know, um, she likes to reach out and and. Uh, help people and befriend people and, and, and she's a wonderful person and she contributes a lot to, uh, to, to good causes. And, uh, she, she just, it, it, it was a personal interest story and, uh, we'd never been in prison. She'd never, you know, we'd never done this before. And, and it was, it was a fabulous experience. So, uh, I, I want to go back to the very King Carter story, but just a second. I mean, um, uh, because when I talked to you, I, by the way, um, uh, I'm a professional electrical engineer. I spent 35 years with PG&E, uh, and uh, and I had a lot of colleagues 
and and when I sort of relate the story, everybody was clued. They, they could not relate at all mm-hmm. uh, to the story. I mean, it, 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 I talk about goody two shoes type folks. I mean, that's that's exactly. I mean, I love my colleagues; they were great people, but they could not relate to the prison experience. Maybe they've seen some prison movies, but uh, trust me, altogether different. And uh, and I felt that at, at over the twenty five years. You know, I, I, I got my high school degree, then my college degree, then my master's degree, then my PhD in understanding the prison system. And it is completely different. And my bet is that many of the people in the general public have no idea what goes on in prisons or any of that. So, so let me go back. And so uh, let me also just sort of say over those 25 years, uh, you only love listening to a lot of my stories. Uh, uh, as I'd relate to them, and, and uh, I, I had a, a really fun career. And after I retired from PG&E, I traveled all over the world doing engineering work. I've been many times to Africa, to China, Malaysia, uh, Europe, and, and many places. And so I'd come back with pictures, and I'd love sharing uh, the pictures with him. And you know, so he was living his life sort of vicariously through through my life. That was it was a lot of fun. So let me go back over the course of time. This is later on, maybe. Um, about eight to ten years later, I got to know some folks in the network marketing business. And one of the I knew, uh, I got to introduce to a couple of Canadians. One of the fellows whose name was Scott Robbins, who had the number one talk radio show in the, in the Toronto area. And he had had uh, an earlier, I believe, he had done an interview with Hurricane Carter, by the way, and uh, that was quite the story. And so he related to, to me, and so we we shared that story that Junie mentioned, and I call him Junie, but um, Robert. Uh, with, with Scott Robinson when I and, and so I toured half the prison system in, in the state of California as well not that I really wanted to and, and at the time this is, goes back to around 2003 time frame uh, Robert was incarcerated at Old Folsom second oldest prison in the state of California and anyway I introduced him to Scott Robbins and uh, uh, Dr. Grant who was one of the other fellows in, in, uh, in my network marketing business and they were just astonished and uh, and totally impressed with Robert uh, that they saw him as a motivational speaker and somebody who would really, really help. I mean, they just saw a lot of good in him, as many, many other folks have done along the way, which is sort of tease up the frustration uh, over the years of why he wasn't released, which is, you know, just a ridiculous story of how the parole board failed in Robert's particular case. In, in terms of having a fair hearing. Anyway, I sort of bounced around a lot, but that, that I'll, uh, maybe I'll just pause, put it on pause for now. I'll bring it back to you, newbie, and you can follow up with questions or go back to Robert. So I, this relationship is just, is building so um, just organically, but still you two wanted to build this friendship. So there's something meant, it, it meant something to you, it seems right off the bat. Is that true? Like, how was it for you, Robert, it, it, starting from the beginning, well, really? You know, initially, initially <laughs> uh, it started off, uh, Bob was a little bit, I would say Bob was a little bit uh, um, slow in really getting to know me. It started off more of me and Helen uh, hitting it off and doing most of the talking. Every time they would come visit me, they did come together, and, you know, Bob would be there. You know, he would say you know, what he would say, and he would participate in whatever uh, we would be doing. They oftentimes would bring my nieces and nephews when they were little babies to see me. 
uh, and we would enjoy those moments together. Um, but it was, I, it, it was, I believe, in 2003 when he brought uh, Scott Robbins and Dr. Grant to see me at Old Folsom. Um, Helen had got to a point to where the visiting room lifestyle and all of the challenges that came with it, particularly the ones at Old Folsom, uh, it was really tough on visitors. And so she kind of backed away from visiting. But Bob stood fast. You know, he and my father, my mother passed in 2003, and he and my father really stepped up their efforts to make sure that I wasn't alone, that I had, you know, uh, constant companionship. They, you know, they would tag team and visiting me. They would oftentimes come together. Uh, and it was at that point that, that my relationship with Bob and my father accelerated. Um, he would come travel down to CMC to visit me, which if you know the distance between CMC and Walnut Creek is where he lived at the time, that's a 10 hour drive, five hours down, five hours up. Mm -hmm. And he would get in his car and he would drive down there and he would spend Saturday and Sunday with me and he would take me on this journey and, um, you know, of conversations. He would uh, challenge my intellect. He would, uh, you know, test me in ways uh, that, that I had never been tested before. Um, you know, he would come with my father. He, he, he bonded with my father. So the relationship uh, towards the latter part of uh, our prison experience really accelerated and uh we were um you know it was just he and i really against everything that was going on uh he had, he he went to places he went to court hearings he went to uh restorative justice meetings he went to everything that possibly uh uh looked like it would give me an opportunity to have freedom um bob was there and my dad was there so uh my relationship with him, I am who I am today because of Bob Stewart and Bob Dixon Sr. Uh, what my father could not give me because of his lack of experiences and training and education, I got from Bob because of his education and his travels and his experiences. What I got from my father was a, a great work ethic because he was a hardworking man. I got from him um, his sense of culture his appreciation from being from the South, uh, his love for family and nature uh, and gardening and just, you know, wholesome living. Um, and so, yeah, I wouldn't be who I am today had I not met Bob and his wife in 1994 and the journey that we went on and being ready. I had to be ready for someone, for a mentor. And Eason was wise enough at that time to see that in me, which is why he made the introduction. Uh, I was at the crossroads where I was uh, ready to stop, you know, doing things that were, you know, harmful to myself and others. Uh, and so the timing was right, and it's been a great journey. So uh, I love him very much. He is my friend, my brother. Um, and, yeah, now we're just enjoying life out here. And... It's great. So that's what he means to me. Okay, Bob, before you um, uh, say something, as I know you'd like to pipe in there, I do want to um, just recognize how remarkable it is. Um, I haven't quite heard this where there's such a strong connection with, um, with your family. 
um, that uh, Bob, you and Helen uh, seem to have built up. I, I would love for you to, I know that you have something to say about um, uh, what Robert just um, expressed, but I, and I would love for you to talk about about that relationship that you built with his with Robert's family um, out here as well, if you don't mind. Absolutely. And thanks for uh, the preface. Uh, it's a good lead-in here, Nubi. So, uh, Robert mentioned that you know we're brothers. We are brothers in every sense, except we're, except related by blood. And he's he's my little brother, and I'm his big brother, and uh, I'm his mentor, and you know we really love one another, and it's just uh, and it really is amazing. And and so uh, as we got to know. Uh, his father and mother, and we got to know his family, and we got, you know, sort of, what I maybe say, indoctrinated into, into the black culture, <laughs> you know, uh, you know, and I, I'm a foodie, as, as uh, Robert's dad is, as Robert is, so, ah. <laughs> I see it, I eat it, so I love food, and, and they, you know, they had uh, gumbo, and uh, they had barbecue ribs, I never saw uh, any barbecue, anything that, that, that looked relatively edible that I didn't want to eat, so it was a great experience, so we, go out to places like Benihana in San Francisco. And they took me to, I don't remember the name of the place now, an old, uh, you know, uh, down near Jekyll and Square in that same area. There's an old, uh, uh, famous, you know, uh, African-American place. Um, and uh, we had a, a great a great dinner there one night. But uh, uh, as, as the relationship flourished, then uh, uh, Jennifer... Um, had her firstborn, and we and, and uh, we became the godfather of Miracle. Miracle is her first, uh, is her daughter. She actually has two of their children that we're all very closely related to, and I think they consider us godparents as well. But Miracle uh, was the firstborn, and we they had a you know a baptism and you know special thing, and we hung out with the Dixons at the at their church in San Leandro, and got to know you know uh, all these friends, and they'd have uh, Sunday night dinners, and we'd go there and. And uh, break bread with with a lot of the, the church members at, at their church. So they were very religious people, and uh, they they uh, you know celebrated uh, you know uh, their, their religion with us, which I thought was special. So uh, it's a, so it was, it, it, 2003 was a was a a, a, a game changer in a, in a way that my wife had been you know where when Junie. Or when Robert was at Solano, we visit him maybe every couple of weeks, and I think Helen would visit me most of the time. We uh, and then when it when he got farther away, then it was less and less often. And then Folsom is a tough prison. A very it, 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 it's a it's this as I mentioned, second oldest. I mean, it really kind of reminds you of some of the old prison movies, and it, a very difficult visiting process. Visiting, by the way, is not easy. Um, made look easy, but it's not. So yeah. she got burned out around 2003-2004. Can so I just say, I just wanted to pipe in there because I want people to understand that it, it's not that it's not easy. I mean, it, it's it's made uneasy by the system, by CDCR yes. and the way that they they operate things. They make it, un, they make it very uncomfortable um, and they exhaust people, and 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 I just want to bring that up. And I'm sorry to be interrupting, but I really want people to understand that because it just also highlights and I um, and really enlightens. Um, you know, people who are trying to love each other and care about each other are really um, 
are really put to the task. And that's, that's unkind at, at, at the least. So I just wanted to, to say that because you two, you, you and your wife were, um, and Robert, your family were really, um, you know, doing your best under the circumstances. So I wanted to say that. Yeah, absolutely. So in a way, it was interesting that Folsom was probably one of the most difficult visiting scenarios. And no disrespect to the guards, they were doing their best, but it was not a pleasant experience many times. And so when you do this, you know, maybe two weeks after two weeks, month after month, for 25 years, that that can that can wear on you. Absolutely. As I said to Robert, I, I had to pinch on myself sometimes tougher than nail. I'm a tough guy, and I can hang in there. But, but it's, it's very difficult to slog through that and be there for somebody for a long, long time, which I know he appreciates. And, you know, I, I enjoyed the moments. Uh, for, for sure I did. But, um, you know, very, very difficult. And, and we have a great – and I, when I went down to San Luis, uh, Bispo, um, and that's where he got actually got released from Santa Rita, but his last uh, his last uh, time served was at uh, the California Men's Colony in San Luis, and uh, so I'd go down for the weekend, and I love staying down because at my old alma mater, I graduated from Cal Poly, and I'd go down and stay the weekend, and oftentimes, uh, so I got to know his dad over the years, and we'd visit, I'd take him in my car, and we'd go visit him, uh, and I think that was the, probably the first time. Robert Sr. and I started visiting and hanging out together. So I think that in the early 2000s, that, that started uh, developing. And, and his dad was a, 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 a mason, a brick bricklayer, very expert. He did a lot of great work. And, uh, you know, I appreciated his professionalism and what he was doing. And we both liked hanging out with one another. So it, it, uh, towards towards the very end uh, of Robert's incarceration, we'd hang out and, and uh, uh and spend the weekend, uh, we'd be, you know, in, in hotel rooms and visit them on Saturday and Sunday. But it was very difficult, I know, uh, after a, a long weekend uh, for us to all say goodbye. And uh, very, you know, uh, kind of an emotional high and then, you, you know, a letdown after we all say goodbye. And, you know, easy for me to go back to my life uh, and very, very difficult for Robert to go back uh, behind the, the uh the prison system. I, I, I tell you, a lot of people think, and apparently the parole board perhaps thinks as well. No problem. You can do time. It's easy peasy. No, no, not at all. I and I, I don't think I could do the time that he did. I, I really don't. I mean, it takes an incredibly strong person with a powerful sense of self and and uh, motivation to to hang in there. And uh, we haven't talked about all the pro border disappointments and all the baloney that was going on. That that was just crushing his spirit and his will. And uh, the, the fact that he was able to fight through that, uh, it was just debilitating uh, for him to, to experience that and very frustrating, uh, I might add. So but anyway, we it, it, as, as time went along, you know, uh, I got to know his dad. Fantastic guy, really wonderful person. And, we, and then, you know, uh, the love of his uh, grandchildren and, and uh, our goddaughter, and then, uh, and then uh, later on, Jennifer had twins, uh, Malik and McKenna, who we're very, we're very close to now, and seeing is just heartening to see the development of of them, of Malik now, uh, 
nicknamed Bubba, who's now in uh, the U.S. Air Force uh, on a great career. And McKenna's a businesswoman, and 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 uh, Miracles uh, uh, doing well, um, you know, and in, uh, in the medical um, industry. So um, yeah, it, uh, it just uh, just a lot of fun hanging out uh, with the Dixon family, you know, and, and dealing with all the frustrations, and and uh, we were really really bonded uh, over the years. So I'll, I'll just kind of stop there for now. All right, folks, that is exactly where we are going to leave that. And you can join us next week. Join me here on Prison Focus Radio next Thursday at 11, and we will play the second half of that conversation. But before we go, I want to uh, finish with a couple of things. First of all, the San Francisco Bayview National Black Newspaper is in the middle of a big uh, fund drive or fundraiser, sorry, let's put it that way. Um, so I encourage all of you to go either to the San Francisco Bayview website at sfbayview.com and you can donate there. We are trying to um, keep this amazing newspaper alive. Um, it really is um, one of a kind in the nation. It's been going for 44 years um, on a shoestring and we are also um, wanting to to fund the arrival of and the re-entry of Malik Washington, who will be getting out of prison uh, this September and coming to be the new editor of the San Francisco Bayview National Black Newspaper. So we want to make sure that this um, this fantastic uh, liberation journalism newspaper stays around not only for the community but for all of the voices that they continue to uplift on both sides of the wall so again please go to sfbayview.com and make a donation there but also there's a big um, gofundme fundraiser that is happening and you can find that um, at uh, you can go to gofundme you can google it um, invest in the bayview uh, that's uh, yeah, or just go to Gun, uh, GoFundMe and look for uh, the SF Bayview newspaper. Also, please always make donations if you can to California Prison Focus. Um, again, one of those the, the newspapers that uplifts the voices of people on the inside. There are so few of these papers, um, especially in print, which is really important uh, for the folks on the inside, because of course they, many of them don't have um, access at all to the internet, so uh, they don't. Um, okay, uh, and that's, uh, please go to www.prisons.org and also check out the calendar there. Uh, there's always things going on. Uh, we're gonna be having our, our next uh, Liberate the Caged Voices Roundtable Dialogues. That'll happen on July 20, excuse me, I believe that's the 25th. And, um, and also make donations there and check out the archives of the, the past newspapers and also past radio shows there. All right. Um, one of the other things, too, that I want to mention is that we are constantly told, the public is constantly told that the United States doesn't have political prisoners, but we do. We have the United States political prisoners. And, and as you know, um, I do often talk about um, the, the many people that are being subjected to cruel and unusual punishment with civil death sentences. These are people that have 
um, spent decades past their parole dates, um, denied multiple, multiple times. This is incredibly, um, it's so unjust. And you heard some of that, or we, we were going to, we were about to go into that with our last conversation with Robert Dixon Jr. and Bob Stewart. And we'll get into that next week. Um, cause this, this, it's unjust and it is cruel and it's uh, traumatic, not only for the people serving that time, um, but also their family members um, as well. All right, so I just wanna name some of the US political prisoners. We are going to, we've been asked to say their names at demonstrations. And so I feel like we are constantly in, um, in demonstration. We are constantly in resistance. So we are going to name some of those names. Romaine Chip Fitzgerald, Clark Squire at Sundiata Akoli, Ed Poindexter, Veronza Bowers, Joseph Bowen, Kenny Zulu Whitmore, Russell Maroon Schultz, Mumia Abu Jamal, Jamil Abdullah Alamin, Freddie Hilton, who is Freddie Kamau Sadiki Hilton, Mutulu Shakur, David Gilbert, Leonard Peltier, Anthony Jalil Bottom, and Rochelle Sinke McGee. And in here on this uh, card that I'm reading, it says, America, take your knees off the neck of the Panthers. Enough is enough. Demand their freedom now. So, um, those are just some of the names. And let me say also, so yes, Romaine Chip Fitzgerald has been in 50 years. Clark Squire, who's a Sundiata Akoli, is 47 years. Listen to this. I mean, Joseph Bowen, 49 years. People, it's time to get these people home. Oh, this is, yeah, Rochelle is the longest um, held uh, former Black Panther. And he's been in for 56 years. He should not be subjected to a death in prison enough is is enough and I also want to read just a couple of names um, from the people here in California that are being subjected to a civil death we have George Ruiz age 77 he's been in for 39 years he's been denied parole 15 times this has nothing to do with public safety Charles Coleman is 71 years old. He's been in, caged for 37 years. He's been denied parole 15 times. James Mario Perez, he's 67. He's been caged for 46 years. He's been denied parole 17 times. So it's all about what we choose. So choose love over hate, radical self-love, radical love for the people. And uh, yeah. Choose people, people over everything, people and planet over everything. Take care of yourselves, stay safe, trust each other, and we will see you next week. Thank you again for being with me this morning. And uh, let's see, one last thing. Oh, yes, well, it's the end of our show, and I do want to tell you that uh, next coming up is Work Week with Steve Seltzer. Bye-bye. 
you just heard was pre-recorded. This is Steve Zeltzer with Workweek Radio on KPOO every Thursday from 12 noon to 1. We cover the struggles of